Welcome back to the Free Range Parenting Podcast. My name is Alexandra Baton Bailey, and I'm so glad you've joined me today. My kids are now grown, hallelujah, and I survived the madness. I'm now a living in my Anne of Green Gables life. But for years, I single parented five kids, a multitude of college and high school students and a small zoo of fostered and adopted animals, arranging from a really stupid basset hound to oversized tropical birds who could make Star Wars shooting sounds. Don't ask, I'll likely tell it all one day. Apparently, I relish the madness. One story at a time, I plan to tell you about all of my parenting faux pas and hopefully give you a few chuckles, make you feel a little better about your own parenting blunders. This story is entitled Neighborhood Madness. There are moments in life when order seems to just naturally happen. Things fall miraculously into place. Children pick up their belongings without being prompted. Never. Teeth are brushed without the endless barrage of fake brushing alternatives such as running your toothbrush underwater or eating a bit of toothpaste and other such nonsense. Girls brush their hair. Boys actually change their shirts. Tables get set, trash gets taken out, and napkins are put to use instead of shirt sleeves. This has never happened to my family. If there is an alternative way of doing things, we are going to find it. I have watched from afar, and with envy, those lovely, perfect-looking families with starch collars and clean vans I've met those moms for who a white t-shirt truly means a white t-shirt and not a faded gray with mystery stains shirts with deep envy. We are the equivalent of the herdmen, minus the cigars, for those of you who've read or watched the best Christmas pageant ever. Yes, that is us. We are perpetually surrounded by chaos. Or should I say chaos? always surrounds us. We're always willing to embark on another adventure. Never have I felt this more keenly than one very adventurous, unfortunate afternoon when my almost two-year-old locked herself in her room. Apparently our house is built a little bit like Fort Knox, because what could have been a very simple case of picking a lock became an entire neighborhood affair with police, a multitude of neighbors, a lot of screaming, a naked chicken, and a lady with a bunny cake involved. Ella, my then almost two-year-old, was taking a nap. It was a much-needed nap for all of us, really. It was supposed to give me a little quiet time to refocus my attention for the rest of the day, assess any current damage done by my pair of boys who thoroughly enjoyed calling themselves maniacs, and maybe, just maybe, spend a few minutes sitting down with my older daughter. Nap time is sacred for any mother, especially for a mother expecting her fifth gigantic baby in the heat of Florida summer. Especially when the one taking a nap was Ella. But that explanation can be left for another day. Let me clarify something for those of you who have not yet had children, don't plan on having children, or might only have one. The more frequently your body expands to accommodate a growing baby, the quicker it adjusts to the state of a blossoming pinata. For instance, with my first child, I just looked like I had suddenly developed rather large breasts. 
which was amazing and a really great contrast to my usual petite size. Frankly, I thought it looked ridiculous. It was like being pregnant in your boobs. It made no sense. I quickly learned that this rapid expansion of your breasts does not end in the first trimester. In fact, it's an ongoing process. I also discovered that D is not the last letter of the alphabet to be used when measuring cup sizes. Imagine my shock when I went from a lovely little bee on a good day to some letter of the alphabet I had never imagined could be used to measure a part of my anatomy. With all these dramatic changes happening up top, I actually didn't show till I was six months along, and then I proceeded to explode right out of my clothes. I had been so prideful of my petite waist and sweet little bump until the moment I realized that people no longer looked at me with that warm, fuzzy expression, oh, I wonder when she's due, or how sweet, but instead, I got those looks that clearly said somebody put that woman out of her misery. Is that woman a beach ball with legs? And with each subsequent pregnancy, the inevitable point at which I no longer had a choice but to acknowledge my state and allow perfect strangers access to my belly for random pats and rubs came earlier and earlier, until with my fifth baby, I looked pregnant the moment I conceived. I don't think it helps that I'm at best the size and shape of a 12-year-old boy. And for some reason, my babies are all the size of mini football players. God must have had a sense of humor because I just looked strange. By the time Ella locked herself in her room, I was seven months pregnant, and to my ever fashion-conscious mother's horror, could not find a single t-shirt that would cover my entire tummy. To my friend's great entertainment, I could walk ahead of them, and from behind, my shape looked no different— And as soon as I turned, people would go into shock. I mean, honestly. I don't even understand how that was physically possible. How it stayed up, it totally defied the laws of gravity and should have required the use of a wheelbarrow or some kind of sling. I was hot. I was uncomfortable. I could barely fit in my own hallway, let alone crouch by a doorknob and try to figure out the darn lock. So, back to the action. I settled Ella down for a nap. Looked in on the boys and realized that Henry was deeply enthralled in some activity requiring pencils, small rocks, and rubber bands. Probably a makeshift slingshot. Good. One busy. That is when I discovered Harrison, completely devoid of any clothing other than Superman underwear and a blanket cape. Well, it was hot, and we were not expecting anyone, and at least he was wearing underwear. I really had no idea what he was doing. But in that sweltering summer afternoon, it probably involved his cat Eleanor Rigby, a blanket in guise of a cape, and his severe phobia of weather. It rains every afternoon in Florida summers. And he was deathly afraid of rain. So was our fostered senior Great Dane, Chloe, who shared this phobia. The boy, the dog, and the cat spent many summer afternoons staring in utter fear out of our windows or collectively hiding under the kitchen table. He was fine until the weather took a turn for the worst. And then finally, Daphne. She had not emerged from her bat cave except for sustenance and a new book. All was as it should be. The decision was now either to be a responsible mother and do the laundry, or sit down and have another snack. I voted for the other snack. What a fool I was to allow myself to be lulled into a sense of false security. 
I had somehow forgotten. There is no such peace for mothers. Just as I sat down with my preferred snack, a slice of mango, okay, no, a whole mango, Ella woke up early. With that imminent dread known to all mothers for whom nap time is somehow cut short, I managed to half drag myself, half rise out of the depths of my couch, and walk to Ella's room, only to discover that she had locked herself in. This sent alarm bells and a call to action to the dormant troops. Daphne sprang out of the bat cave with the speed of a cat in hot pursuit of a mouse. There was a lock to pick. Her new calling in life was set into motion. Bobby pin in hand, she set to work. When the bobby pin failed, she tried the other tools of her trade, to no avail. She quickly assessed the situation and declared it was hopeless. We were just going to have to break a window. This brash statement sent our entire little clan reeling. Ella started to frantically cry. Harrison, in his own version of panic, set about running around the house in his underwear, launching himself off of furniture, squawking pock-pock chicken at the top of his lungs. Henry just began a slow descent into an absolute nervous breakdown. I did what all seven-month pregnant mothers do when faced with such a situation— I gave in to a cross of fear, panic, and hormones, and simply became a self-contained emotional disaster while I sneakily finished my mango. It never occurred to me to simply call a locksmith or tell Ella to unlock the door. Just when I thought things could not get any worse, the doorbell rang. I was surprised to find a police officer friend there who just happened to stop by to say hello. I was at once relieved and grateful to see a friendly face and a possible solution. Daphne quickly proceeded to douse my hopes with cold water and reaffirm that if she could not pick the lock, then neither could he. In his friendly southern drawl, the officer kindly patronized her and told her, We'll just see about that. Oh, the dreaded pride of grown-ups, always so sure of their superiority to children. Why can't we simply take a lesson from Saint-Exupéry's little prince? Well, with the bravado and confidence of an officer of the law, uniforms and guns tend to breed a false sense of authority and security. He brought in his tools and set to work. Any kind of focused task is difficult in the Florida heat. It is certainly not made any easier when it happens to be in a dark hallway with an oversized belly hanging anxiously over you, a ten-year-old eyeing you suspiciously with her arms crossed, waiting in eager anticipation of your certain failure, loud incessant crying from either side of the door, as both Ella and Henry were crying at this point, and a nearly naked boy wearing only underpants and a cape yelling, Bok Bok Chicken, in your ear. I knew he was doomed. I knew. He was doomed to fail, but at least he was trying. I soon dispatched both the pessimist, Daphne, and the naked boy in an attempt to improve the situation. I had no idea that Daphne's version of getting out of the officer's hair was to take both her brothers, the naked one and the crying one, out front so she could ride her ripstick. To my horror, ten minutes later, the officer had managed not to open the door, but instead to break into such a profuse sweat that just staring at him made me worry and wonder if he needed medical attention. As I was pondering what I would do with an unconscious police officer on my hands, my children came running back in, still crying, scowling, and yelling pock-pock chicken, but this time accompanied by a neighbor. 
The officer seemed relieved to see another adult and particularly one willing to help. And this guy had tools. So together, they set to work dismantling the doorknob. Daphne was correct. To her overwhelming satisfaction, the lock could not be picked. No longer scowling, Daphne became a much better companion to her brothers. Back out she went with the delirious chicken imitator, while Henry opted to stand by the door to Ella's room and cry in sympathy while begging Annie with an earshot to throw him through the window so he could rescue Ella. Soon, both men were sweating profusely, and the only thing they had managed to do was make the doorknob on the inside of the door fall off, which did absolutely no good. Ella quickly proceeded to put it back in place. They decided they still must not have the right tools and called in a third assistant tool guy from the neighborhood who was followed by a couple of stray neighbors I had never met. The heat drove Daphne and the chicken boy in, just as the third tool guy arrived with his posse. Henry quickly tried to convince the lot that they really should just propel him through the window as Ella's valiant rescuer. With the house full and absolute chaos reigning, my doorbell rang again. This time, I remembered that a kind lady from the church had volunteered to bring us dinner. As it happened, she was one of those very proper church women with only one child wearing a perfectly white dress and an oversized bow in her hair. A very gentle and quiet-natured lady. She was greeted at the door before I could do anything about it by the clucking naked boy, accompanied by the once again scowling Daphne. I raised my hat to this woman, who probably had never encountered such insanity that she even chose to walk in the door. She had a perfectly decorated basket filled with ham and multitude of side dishes and an amazing 3D bunny chocolate cake all beautifully displayed. Her eyes were as round as saucers. She entered the building clutching her basket for dear life, followed by incessant clucking. As soon as Henry realized we were joined by yet another guest, he proceeded to give her the rundown of the entire situation with his current tearful assessment that the only thing likely to work would be to throw him through the window. Again, so he could rescue Ella. In desperation, I think the three men finally began to consider it an option, to launch Henry through the window and stop the madness. With the lady clutching her basket in a corner waiting for a proper greeting, Harrison still naked and clucking, Daphne still scowling, Henry and Ella still crying, the three men producing enough sweat to fill a small pool, I finally had an inspiration. What if I just asked Ella to put the doorknob back in place and turned a button? It was the only thing we had not tried yet. And if it did not work, we could always resort to making Henry a human cannonball. In the midst of the chaos, I calmly and weightlessly, wishful on my part, walked to the door. As I made my slow-motion approach, my protruding abdomen scattered the sweaty trio, and I was able to crouch by the door to address Ella. I gave her a moment to calm down, and as I gave her directions to put the doorknob back in place, turned the little button in the middle of it, and sure enough, that did the trick. The door flew open, and to my immense relief, it did not require breaking glass or making a human slingshot out of one of my sons. All of a sudden, the clucking stopped. The crying was appeased. 
three very sheepish-looking men, sporting the look of men who should have asked for directions ages ago, did a cross of embarrassed congratulations and apologies, and blushed as they packed their tools. The bunny cake lady made a quick escape after depositing her basket of goodies with a now mysteriously earless bunny cake. A semblance of quiet settled in again, and I realized we would sleep very well that night. We never saw the cake lady again. Her basket, towel, cake pan all remain a testament to her likely shocking experience within our walls. I do hope she recovered. She may never have had other children. Because of us. The tool guys also made a quick escape, and we have only ever seen our friendly officer again. Bok Bok Chicken became a family saying, and we are desperately trying to prevent Daphne from using her lockpicking skills and her choice of future career. We did learn a valuable lesson that day. The best solution is usually the simplest and is often the one overlooked. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Free Range Parenting and that it offered you a little bit of encouragement in your own ridiculous journey. If you were ever adopted into our clan and remember a story you would like to hear recorded, or if you have your own embarrassing parenting story that you're willing to share, reach out. I would love to hear from you. I've decided the more mortifying the story, the better. Let's get over ourselves together. After all, parenting is a comedy of errors where we are all the butt of the joke. See you soon. Last time when I saw him, he was smiling to me. He was singing the song, feeling happy and hopeful too. He was dancing with a jar. Then